March 3rd, 1993. That is, man, like, what? I can't math. Um, 16 years and two weeks ago to the day. Cool. I was six years old. How old were you that day? I don't know. I was six years old. My dad and I loaded up in the truck. Uh, it was one of those old little Plymouth Arrows. It's like a little Mazda pickup, right? Super neat little truck. Taking a short drive, not even a quarter mile down Bond Special Road in Van Buren. Uh, we're going to visit a friend after church on a Sunday. Like you do in rural Arkansas, I hopped in the back of the truck. I mean, we're just going down the road, no big deal. Matter of fact, I was sitting on top of the dog box in the back of the truck. My dad was a dog man, right? He uh, ra- bred and raised and trained hunting dogs. And uh, at the time, it was beagles we were for rabbit hunting. And so we're heading south down Bond Special Road when, bam, right? We slow down, we turn into this driveway, and we get nailed, right? Nailed us. Slammed our little truck into a tree, sent my tiny, fragile six-year-old body soaring, landed some 30 foot away. Practically speaking, I am not really sure how I didn't die that day. Pretty wild. Dad says when he saw the car top the hill, he knew it was going to hit us. And he could think, all he could think of was where I was. He was frantically trying to turn to see me. Where's Zach? But all he could see was my feet flying over the cab of the truck. The impact, like I said, knocked the truck into a big cedar tree. Matter of fact, it wrapped it around the cedar tree. And the other car was pushed up against the passenger side, leaving Dad wedged, kind of trapped between these two, uh, the vehicle and the tree. The dog box I was on was crushed between the two vehicles. It's a good thing I flew 30 foot away. So, The man that lived there was standing on the front porch when this happened and told the late Bob Ross. You guys remember Bob Ross? He was Sheriff Crawford County for a while. He was just a deputy at the time. Died a year or so ago of pancreatic cancer, I think it was. Uh, Late Bob Ross. uh, Told Bob that, that, that Dad shoved the door of the car so hard that the whole truck moved three foot. Though dad does not remember this part of it himself, he says that he never thought about anything but me. He never thought that he could not get out and get to me. It wasn't even an option, right? I was all that was on his mind, and getting to me was everything in that moment. He describes his frame of mind as fear like he had never before or never since experienced in his life. And he describes hearing me cry was the greatest sense of relief that he has ever experienced before or since in his life. In the end, the only injury that I sustained was a tiny hairline fracture on my right elbow. Right there. Isn't that weird? 
It's crazy. Uh, my wife Kristen was traveling down 71 uh, south. She was past. She just she just passed, I guess, or was right right next to it. Uh, Brian Lovelady's auto shop there, right? Uh, and there was a, a a car stopped to turn onto Fine Ranch, and a truck behind them, and then there's Kristen. This feller comes over the hill, 55 mile an hour, slams into Kristen's butt. Well, Kristen was seven months pregnant at the time with Olivia. And, man, it was bad. Uh, she went into shock. Uh, she couldn't feel Olivia move. Uh, we, got, we, we got a rush to the hospital. Uh, we could not find a heartbeat on Olivia. And we legit thought we might have lost uh, the baby girl. Uh, yeah, that was a really terrifying time. Uh, as a funny aside, because I like jokes, as a funny aside, the guy that hit her when I got the State Farm uh, insurance packet that came in, uh, his last name was B-U-M-P-A-S-S. And I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Bumpus, but I couldn't help but see the humor. Uh, <laughs> it's like, hey, babe, you got bumped by a guy named Bumpass. And it's funny. So... Wrecks are powerful, aren't they? Wrecks are powerful. As a father now myself, I have tried to imagine what my dad thought as he saw me soar, as he saw me land, as he saw me lying there on the ground while he's trapped in his truck. In those moments of utter powerlessness, the only thing you can really do is pray. So you pray. Even if you're not the praying type, you start praying. And it may not sound like, dear Father, you know, you're screaming. That's prayer too, right? It's moments like these that everything else fades away into nothingness. This moment is everything. I'm sure many of you have been involved in wrecks with varying degrees of severity, except for Pastor Nisa, evidently. I asked her, and she said no. So, this message doesn't apply to her. <laughs> but almost universally, wrecks and other near-death experiences cause us to pause, to reflect, to really think about life. Right? Maybe you vow to do and be better, to make the most of life and its experiences, to cherish what matters most more fully. It gives you this newfound appreciation for this brief stint you have on earth. Some years ago, a young boy who was born into a wealthy English family was kidnapped at the young age of 16. He was taken to a foreign country where he was ultimately sold into slavery, spending the remainder of his teenage years doing forced labor, primarily tending to sheep. While working as a shepherd, he did what you do in those moments of utter powerlessness. He prayed. 
a lot, day and night. He says in this time he began to feel the love of God increase as his sense of awe toward God did as well. And one night in his sleep, he heard a voice saying, You have fasted well. Very soon you will return to your native country. And again, later, he heard the voice saying, Look, your ship is ready. Well, his ship was 200 miles away in a port city he'd never been to. In a foreign country, remember this. Uh, with people he'd never met. Recounting this moment in his life, he said, So I ran away then and left the man with whom I had been for six years. It was in the strength of God that I went. God who turned the direction of my life to good. I feared nothing while I was on the journey to that ship. He wound up setting sail on a ship with a pretty rough crew, and they were at sail at sea for three days. When they finally reached land, they spent 28 days traveling through the wilderness, a solid month, dealing with all sorts of things that you'd expect traveling through the wilderness for 28 days, like no food, right, and wild animals. Uh, after 60 days, he was able to flee this crew that he was with, and finally, a few years later, he was again with his parents in Britain. That time was around the 4th, 5th century. That foreign country was Ireland, and that young man's name was Patrick. And today is his feast day, St. Patrick's Day. Are you wearing green? If you're on the youth team, it's easy. They always wear green. St. Patrick. Patrick's parents pleaded with him never to leave home again after all that he'd been through. Can you blame them? It was in this time, however, that Patrick began to hear what he described as the voices of Ireland's youth calling to him in his sleep. We beg you, holy boy, to come and walk again among us. Moved once again by these voices in his dreams, Patrick set himself down the path of ordination and eventually returned to Ireland as a bishop and missionary in his 40s. He's said to have baptized thousands of people and ordained new priests to minister to the new Christian population that he was establishing in Ireland. Over the roughly 40 years he spent traveling the Irish countryside. He started when he was in his 40s. In his 40s. He wasn't dead yet, right? There's a lot to do. St. Patrick was born into a wealthy family and had no material wants in the world. But it was in his time of lacking and emptiness, in the quintessential wreck of his life, that God spoke to him and gave him the opportunity to develop his faith. We all experience times of hardship in our lives, whether we want to or not. Some of us have it worse than others. There's no question about that. But all hardship causes us to change, to adapt. Sometimes those changes are good. Sometimes they're not. 
Sometimes hardship comes involuntarily, right? It's against your will. Think vacationing to the jungle versus being dropped there with an M16 in the 60s, right? Maybe your hot water heater goes out. Maybe, like St. Patrick, you get kidnapped and sold into slavery in a foreign country. You have a choice in these moments. Psychiatrist Viktor Frankl, who himself endured the very real, definitely involuntary hardship of life in concentration camps, Nazi concentration camps, mind you, uh, and wrote a book about his experiences called Man's Search for Meaning. Fantastic. Highly recommended. Uh, he said this, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So you can allow these situations to dictate your day, your week, your month, your year, or even your life. And you can wallow in that misery. And I want to pause here. It is fine to lament. It's even encouraged to lament, right? Lament and the practice of lament, the, the practice of crying out to God and laying everything before him and letting him know how pissed you are about it is thoroughly biblical. It's good. Do it, okay? If you don't believe me, read the Psalms. A solid third of them are lament Psalms. But the thing is, what we do with that is important, right? All of the lament songs end with praise. But how many of you would say that you have grown as a person through the experience of hardship in your life? I mean, everybody, right? You develop character. And sometimes, something truly remarkable comes to pass. It was through hardship that Abraham took hold of God's promise. It was through hardship that Joseph obtained favor and a future for his people. It was through hardship that Moses brought the tablets down the mountain to the newly formed nation of Israel. It was through hardship that St. Paul took the gospel to Rome. It was through hardship that St. Patrick came to know the Lord and ultimately transformed the nation of Ireland. It was through hardship that Jesus became human and saved the world. And it's hardship that Jesus commands of us when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, which is a literal instrument of torture, mind you, and follow me daily. So we have these moments in life that pop up against our will. And our response is usually along the lines of, uh, right? I'm so done with this day. It's only 9.30. How many of you have said this? Yeah. So part of our task here is to get better at using that space 
as Viktor Frankl calls it, between stimulus and response, to change our response into something that's more useful and beneficial, something that leads to growth, and that grow, and then by that grow us all the more. And maybe even something truly remarkable comes to pass. The reality is that for most of us in this room, life is pretty easy most of the time. Life is pretty easy most of the time. We deal with things, yes, right? We got hard days. We got hard weeks. A couple weeks ago was a rough week for me. We're often broke. But compared to much of the population of the world throughout human history, we don't generally have it rough, right? By historical standards, some might say we have got it pretty easy. So what then? Those of us who have it pretty easy, are we doomed to a lack of character formation? Are we doomed to not be transformed into the image of Christ? Imagine if you introduced uncomfortable circumstances into your daily life on purpose. Like little miniature wrecks that you can control and that can give you a renewed sense of life and purpose. What if once a month you went to your main breaker, shut off the power to your house for, oh, six hours? Imagine, nobody's like, <laughs> imagine, because you already are imagining how inconvenient and uncomfortable that would be, right? Even as a planned blackout, this sucks. I mean, we've all been in a blackout. It's not hard to imagine, but, I mean, you can't use the microwave. You can't use the TV. Maybe even you can't use the stove. Better not use the computer or phone because it may die, right? I don't have a way to charge it. And the Internet's down anyway, so what am I going to do on that? What am I going to do in this blackout time? Just imagine what you could learn about yourself in that time. Imagine the creative and practical solutions you could come up with. Maybe you buy an external battery charger so that you can charge your phone or your computer in those desperate moments. Maybe you get some candles, right, to have light, a little warmth. Maybe you stock up on some crafts in the closet so that the kids aren't killing each other and you're not losing your mind. Little things like that, right? It's interesting how we learn in those experiences and we can adapt to them. Those little miniature train wrecks. And the next time you have an involuntary blackout, you know, maybe your response is, come on, OG&E! That was intentional. <laughs> that was a lie. Maybe instead, you shrug it off and enjoy yourself because you've been here before. This is familiar territory. Like when I embarrassed myself, I don't care. I've been there before. It's nothing. Or what if you took a really cold shower once a week? 
No big deal when the hot water goes out, right? Shrug it off, roll with the punches. You've been here before. Dozens of times. You know what I like to do sometimes? I like to get in the shower and alternate as hot as it'll go and as cold as it'll go in 30-second increments. What is wrong with that guy? Hey, if you wake up with aches, try that the night before. You won't wake up with aches. It's wonderful. So, a week or so ago, I went over to a friend's house to have lunch and hang out uh, for a couple of hours and watch some funny videos on YouTube. Uh, Jujimufu, you guys know Jujimufu? No, of course not. I'm weird. He's this, he's this really big, mus- muscled-up bodybuilder guy, but he's like, like a mobile like a ballerina. It's really odd to watch him do the things he does. Uh, it doesn't click, but uh, he's also hilarious. And uh, so we're going to watch Jujimufu funny videos, and uh, right about the time that we booted up the Roku... Cox Internet, like, goes down all over western Arkansas, right? And it stayed down for hours. I'm sure you can remember this. Uh, We kept trying for about 15 minutes, resetting the modem sometimes or so, before finally giving up. And you know what we did after that? Yeah, we just sat there and had a conversation. (laughs) Old school. We told funny stories. We shared about what's happening in life. Uh, We had a great time. It was really refreshing. And meanwhile, most of the River Valley is like, what do I do? They weren't ready for that. What about last week when Facebook and Instagram went down, right? What on earth did you do without... eh, uh, refresh, refresh, like the Facebook version of Thanos' snapping, and like 50% of the Facebook population couldn't access the universe anymore, right? Pastor Devin likes to joke about my obsession with squats, and uh, sometimes people ask me, why? Why are you obsessed with squats? Here's my little secret. I have found squats, specifically very heavy squats, to be a wonderful metaphor for my spiritual life and my growth with and toward God. Speaking of lifting weights, did any of you happen to catch any of the Arnold Classic a weekend or so ago? Arnold Classic used to be like this big uh, bodybuilding show thing because Arnold and uh, it's kind of evolved since then to be like bodybuilding and strongman and powerlifting and CrossFit. Uh, whatever about CrossFit. Uh, but yeah, Half Thor Bjornsson. What a name, right? He's got Thor in his name. Yeah. Half Thor Bjornsson, a.k.a. The Mountain from Game of Thrones. He attempted a deadlift on a rogue elephant bar with 500 kilos. How many pounds is that? 
and five, almost. That's a lot of weight, y'all. He got so close to locking it out, and like he's like, you get up there in that moment, you literally can't see anymore because you're trying. And he's, he's, he's exerting himself so hard that he literally begins to bleed out of his forehead. I mean, have you ever tried anything in your life if you're not bleeding out of your forehead? I'm like, man, what am I doing? I've never exerted myself at all. He almost got it, but failed. But squatting with intentionality has literally made me a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, and just a better human. Yes, I am a lot stronger and healthier than I used to be. I look a whole lot better, too. If you haven't seen my before and after photos, you don't have to applaud. I, I already know. But getting myself under a heavy barbell three times a week has built character and virtue like few things in my life ever have. I have a better appreciation for what it takes to stand up under a heavy burden. And I know what it's like when I get a little too cocky and that barbell brings me back down. When I'm trying to carry a load I'm not yet ready to carry. This is the real reason I like to teach people to squat. I've often joked that if anyone wants to have a counseling session with me, they need to come to my garage and squat first. <laughs> yeah, you're going to look better. You're going to feel better. You're probably going to live longer. But you learn something about yourself in the middle of grinding out a set of squats at twice your body weight. There's more to you than you realize. And it's through hardship that you come to know these things. It is a refining process. All hardship causes you to change, to adapt. Similar to the way a heavy set under a barbell causes a physical adaptation in your body. It's still hardship even if it wasn't thrust upon you against your will. It's the difficulty that makes it life-changing. This sort of intentional practice of foregoing some of life's luxuries, of denying yourself these things, of doing something really uncomfortable, it's a big part of what the Lenten season is all about. We call this voluntary hardship. And it's the practice of opting for growth over comfort by choosing to overcome something that would otherwise be avoidable. It cultivates an appreciation for life and fortifies our character. Over time, you see, we become entrenched in our comfortable routines. Even things that aren't necessarily comfortable become comfortable over time. We become numb to much of life. Voluntary hardship is this idea that you should add slightly less enjoyable things 
to your routine, like going without electricity, riding your bike to work, fasting a day a week, or really heavy squats. So that you can experience what it would be like if you actually had to go without the things you're used to and prepare you for the more difficult times when the hardship comes involuntarily against your will. What if you actually had to go a day without your car? What do you do? If you practiced that, you would know. Or, or if you did not have hot water for your morning shower, what do you do? Which sucks, unless you've done it a lot, right? We all do this to one degree or another in various aspects of our lives. In the, in the passage Miss Nikki read this morning, Paul used the example of athletes. I feel like I'm losing my mic here for some reason. Uh, the experience of, uh, example of athletes, and those of you with any experience in athletics can immediately relate to this, right? Training and sports practice are forms of voluntary hardship. But so is dieting and exercise, budgeting your money, saving for retirement, learning an instrument, and so are silence and solitude, giving, worship, prayer, fellowship for us introverts. It's involuntary hardship being around you guys. <laughs> so is giving up a Wednesday night to take a class and giving up your Sunday night to get together with people you don't know very well for table fellowship. All of this is voluntary hardship. It's hard until it isn't, and then you make it harder. This is how we improve. This is how we grow. This is how we make the most of life. One of the beautiful things about biological life is its ability to adapt. God, in his infinite wisdom, designed life to adapt in almost any circumstance you can imagine to the point that just about anything can become normal. The deepest known area in the ocean is called the Marianas Trench. Have you ever heard of the Marianas Trench before? It's about 36,000 feet down. That's about seven miles. It's further down than Mount Everest is up. And there's a fish that lives in the Marianas Trench called a snailfish. It's cute, isn't he? Understand that the water pressure at that level almost 16,000 PSI. 16,000 PSI, right? That's 16,000 pounds per square inch. A cow's about 1,600 pounds. That's like having 10 cows sitting on every square inch of your body at the same time. The average human surface area is 1.9 meters squared. That's about 3,000 Square inches, do the math, 3,000 times 10 is 30,000 cows. Way to go. 30,000 cows. That's so much pressure. 
that the very proteins in your body would begin to destabilize and unfold if you weren't already turning to mush from being sat on by 30,000 cows. And here's this fish. It's getting along just fine. It's fat, happy. Because this species of fish has adapted to this environment. This is his normal. <laughs> Way down in the Marianas Trench. But for most of us, we have become rather accustomed to a life of relative ease. We no longer have to chase down animals and kill them with our fingers to eat them and feed our families. Right? Easy is our normal. Life adapts by introducing change, often gradual over time. And it's by this same mechanism that we change, not only through the generations, but in most aspects of our daily lives. Would you guys stand with me? We're just about ready to close. <laughs> I think I'm supposed to say that because Pastor Devin does. So, it's the same way we also get stronger in the squat. We apply a stress that we can recover from, right? A weight on the bar over a certain number of sets and a certain number of reps, resulting in a beneficial adaptation. You get stronger. And it's the same way that we improve other aspects of our lives and build godly character. In the Bible, this notion of voluntary hardship, it's all over the place. But it goes by a different name. We call it self-denial or dying to self. And it's at the heart of this Lenten season. It's why Lent is often thought of as like uh, the fasting season or the season of giving something up, right? What you giving up for Lent, right? It's good. So let this season of Lent, this time of lack and emptiness, awaiting Easter Sunday, let this be your miniature controlled wreck that gives you an excuse to pause and reflect, to come before God with a penitent heart and sincerely ask Him how He would like to grow you in this season. And if you're like me, you may not even need to ask because it's obvious how you suck. And he's probably already on you about it anyway. Maybe you need to take your health more seriously. Maybe you need to establish a consistent prayer life. Maybe you're a gossiper. Maybe you're manipulative. Maybe you're just a bit of a jerk. And when you've identified that thing or things, make a plan. Be intentional. How can you introduce voluntary hardship into your life? How can you make gradual changes over time? How can you practice dying to self? All of this will bring improvement in these aspects of your life, in your spirituality, in your character. If you identify your thing and you're not sure what to do, ask. You know, we will come up with a creative idea and plan together. I know Pastor Devin loves 
coming up with these kinds of plans of growth for people. But then follow through with that plan. Tell someone about it. Heck, tell several someones about it. Ask them to hold you accountable, right? Would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for this season of Lent, this time of waiting. We ask for your guidance in discovering those areas of our lives that we need more of you and less of us. Those areas of our lives that we need to die to ourself and grow in godly character. God, I ask that you would give us the courage to follow through with these plans. And I ask that you would give us the comfort that we need as we approach these wounded areas of our lives and and seek to make these things better. In Jesus' name.